Welcome to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. Today we're talking about the zombie action thriller, Train to Busan. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we featured Korean ingredients that would please both Sue Ann and her terrible father alike. Although, after I've been making it, I feel like it'll make them both hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make Kelly drink it first. I feel like it does match the themes of the movie and that it does look like a chemical spill. <laughs> uh, on, a, on a nice dirt ground, there's some sort of green spill. It's not mixing at all, though. It is a float. That was the point. Because originally we were discussing what we were going to do, and I was like, I don't know. We have the Uji Matcha ice cream, so maybe I'll use that. And you were like, oh, I'll get Korean beer and make afloat. Uh, <laughs> 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 um uh <laughs> He has no words, ladies and gentlemen. I have a I have a question about the format of our podcast. Um does every drink that we offer in this menu have to be good? <laughs> Do we have to be able to make quality cocktails that people at home will want to enjoy themselves? Maybe we'll make a section of the book that's for all the shitty ones. <laughs> uh. Oh, man. Um, so it's very strong. Also, since it's a float, I can't manage to get both flavors in one drink. One sip? Uh. Maybe sip it through it without using the straw. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let me try again. Here's here's not sipping through a straw. It doesn't look like it was any more successful. Uh, oh, so it's like I can't get through the top layer because it's, <laughs> it's like melted matcha ice cream that is so thick that it's stopping me from getting underneath it. <laughs> so if I want the concoction that you made underneath it, I need to drink from the straw. And if I want the matcha, I need to drink from the top. But you don't like either of it. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly's idea was, it's my turn to make the drink, so I have to do it. But he was suggesting getting a Korean beer and then using the matcha ice cream on top and making a Korean beer float. But I hate beer. And I was thinking about that drink. I was going to do it. And then I was like, no, it makes me want to vomit just thinking about it. I'm going to try and make stuff myself. And so, <laughs> so you wanted something that will make both of us vomit was your idea. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to suffer, I have to suffer as well. All right. I have a technique that makes it a little bit better. Ooh. And it's just to like move the straw up and down between both layers as you drink it. Okay. So I'll try that. I'm not going to say it makes it good. It definitely gives you the, the essence of the drink. Okay. I think you were overselling how terrible it is. Because that was not that bad. Mm, I think you're just, uh, you got uh, Stockholm Syndrome for your own drink. No way. Okay, so I did the straw technique and I did get the creamy matcha ice cream. And then I got the bubbly blueberry deliciousness on the bottom. Uh-huh. Yeah. I wouldn't say delicious. The matcha flavor is very strong. I used uh, Mr.'s ice cream, so the, the nitrogen made ice cream again, and it's a uh, Uji matcha flavor. So it's very thick. It does taste like matcha, which I now don't know if I actually am a fan of. I had never had it before. 
Except in like a matcha uh, latte or whatever. Yeah, I've definitely had like matcha tea before. And I hadn't really loved those, but I wanted to try something new. And I like that it was an Asian ingredient that we could include. Yeah. And then the soju in the actual concoction itself is Korean. Korean. Yes, Korean spirit. I used the only one that we had, which was grape flavored. Oh. <laughs> and then I used the blueberry kombucha cordial, so the other flavor of the Mad Labs cordials that we have. I mean, blueberry and grape aren't exactly the best, like, combining flavors, I would say. Yeah, I guess. Buddy's, and then Buddy seems to really want to try this drink. <laughs> He's he really keeps, into it. He keeps pawing at it. He was licking the lid. and The main thing I was using, though, was the uh, other muddler sample we got, which was their vodka soda. So when I first made the drink, I used less of everything else and like half a can of muddler soda in each. But then all it really tasted like the other flavors weren't strong enough to get that anything besides vodka soda. So then I put more of the blueberry and the grape soju and... I think it came through. And then I put a bit of lemon in it, too, because I want it to be a bit sour. Oh. you can Kelly defi- really hates this. I can definitely <laughs> feel the drink, that's for sure. Maybe your whole idea was to make me look like one of the zombies. So all the twitching and convulsing that I do as I drink this alcohol True. makes me look like one of the zombies from Train to Busan. I was hoping that the blue of the blueberry cordial would come out more because the zombies in the film have like bluish black veins all over them as they turn. Uh, So that was part of my idea. And then the other thing was that, yeah, I still wanted to balance like I bet the dad would have vodka sodas. He's like stressed at work. And then although he seems like a G&T kind of guy. Damn it. (laughs) And then Sue and I wanted her to have some ice cream. Because the whole movie's about them learning to become more like each other. Yeah, that But then everybody dies, so clearly, just like this drink, compromise is bad. And that's what I called it, the compromise float, Mm. where nobody wins, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) Well, I finished this drink. I drank the whole thing all all the way through. Nothing left here. No, you didn't. But I actually don't hate it as much as you did, because I had tasted it before I changed it, and then I didn't want to try it again before we started the podcast, because I wanted it to be real first taste. So hearing how bad it was from you, I was really worried, but it's definitely not as terrible as I thought it would be. I definitely would not sell it at a restaurant (laughs) or a bar. (laughs) We'll have to put some sort of like rating system of our, like, how likely we want you to drink this drink. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people are curious about it now, so now you can try it. At home. I mean, Buddy's real curious about it. And you know what they say about curiosity in cats? It kills them. Yeah. Also oh, no. also ice cream. <laughs> He's literally like pawing <laughs> at you pawing. to lick the matcha off your hands. Yeah. He's so cute. Stop <laughs> it, Buddy. Oh, my goodness. So we watched Train to Busan this week. Which I kind of went away from our plan because technically today that this episode is releasing is the day that Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is releasing. And I really wanted to have an episode on that. But then we our schedule couldn't work out. Yeah. So that's what we're doing next week. So this week we did Train to Busan, which premiered on May 13th, 2016 at the Cannes Film Festival in France. Cannes? I don't know. It's pronounced Cannes. Okay. <laughs> How do you know? Because I've heard of the Cannes F- Film Festival before. Oh. Okay. The film festival? The film festival? <laughs> no, cans, just not every other word. <laughs> I find it interesting that if it's in France, it's called something that sounds so English. Um, Maybe I've only heard the bastardized version of it. But anyways, that's where it was first. And it was directed by Yong Sang-ho. Do you want to give the little spiel about what is in it? 
Uh, a workaholic fund manager played by Gong Yu, his endangered... Estranged? Wow. <laughs> you killed me with this drink. I can't... Okay, let me try again. A workaholic fund man- manager played by Gung Yu, his estranged daughter played by Suan Kim, and other passengers become trapped on a speeding train during a zombie outbreak in South Korea. Dun, dun, dun. This is our first zombie movie of uh, the series. This is also our first Asian movie, and I feel like we're going to fuck up a lot of the names. It's true, and I'm really sorry. I tried really hard. <laughs> we'll try our dangdest. Here's the trailer, which you're not going to understand anything of unless you speak Korean. I'll dub over it with my own words. Don't do that. God, he licked the edge of my drink while I was watching the trailer. Boom. They did a really good job of showing the like determination that everyone has in this movie. Yeah. And they didn't give away too much because, I mean, the movie is called Train to Busan. Yeah, so you know as long as they're on a train and they're going to Busan. The uh, the structure of the trailer was very like modern action movie. Mm-hmm. It was like, in a world where zombies... It almost felt like a, a Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie. Which is also, it's interesting because when you look it up, most of the genres that are attached to it are action and thriller. Hmm, which does make sense. It is a very action-y movie. It's just, I didn't expect the trailer to be so like summer blockbuster yeah, trailer. But I still think it's a horror film. It's a horror film in the way that like zombie movies are horror films, which is like, I don't know, you have to be afraid of zombies, I guess. Well, there's also the whole, like they really highlight the concept of class in this movie. And I think that happens a lot in a lot of horror films, especially the zombie movies, because it's always, if you're rich, you'll live longer. That's true. I mean, and that's like that in any apocalypse. We just went to Vegas and we did the Titanic experience. The way that works is the... Uh, you get a little card that says who you were on the Titanic, what your like background was and where you were traveling. And then you get to walk through the exhibit and see all the artifacts and things. And at the end, they have a wall of who's lived and who uh, unfortunately perished. And basically, everybody who was rich or a lady survived. And then like 600 people, like over half of the people that died were all either crew or third class. That's true. The ratio was m- much higher for... Uh for rich people of survival. I do agree. Like you can basically manipulate people with money, especially in the beginning of a zombie apocalypse because people still think hold value. Exactly. And there was such a divide between the upper and lower class in this movie in particular. Like the rich guy gets calls telling him like where is safe. So that's how they first off go to Busan is because the COO douchebag of such and such company. Something Express. Is like, we're keeping going, let's go. And he's like ordering around all the staff. And even the main character was getting like fed information about what was going on. Yeah, like when they had to get off at another station and everyone was gonna get quarantined and basically killed. And he was like, oh no, we're, we're gonna turn off this way, sweetie, and pulls her along. But anyways, I thought that that was a huge thing. Wow, buddy. Okay, this is buddy approved. 
Yeah. That's that's the tag I'm putting on this drink in the book. So people have to try it. Yeah, if you're a cat, you might like this. Because he's never been like this on any of our drinks. <laughs> no. Okay, there he's gone now. Okay. But um, uh, yeah, like I'd, I'd be interested to see if the first group of people that die are in like the second or third class. Because I know like the first class is where like the all the people that were hanging out who didn't want to mingle with the other people were, and they survived for a while. Yeah. But then there was like the baseball team, I'm pretty sure was in a lower class, and then the initial zombie that like snuck onto the train, I would like to see if she got onto the lower class ones. Yeah, I'm not sure. She like ran on though. She didn't get it. She didn't have a ticket. I don't know, just subtly. I would like to know if if they were dying from lowest to highest class. And the first thing that you see when you're on the train is the COO complains about someone weird got on the train and you're like oh no it's a zombie but no he's complaining about a homeless man yeah that is on the train and it is like terrified in shock and everyone's like you have to get off the train and then all hell breaks loose yeah because they were too busy worrying about a homeless man and the nicest person in the movie is a homeless man and the evilest person in the movie is the rich ceo coo guy yep Ugh, terrible oh, classists But that brings me to my other point, which was about morality, which is like huge. When you think of the difference between Sue Ann and her dad, like she gives up her seat to the elderly ladies throughout the whole movie. She's helping one of the elderly ladies and the pregnant woman like get from train car to train car. She was talking about how her own grandmother always had problems. So she helped her too. Yeah, exactly. And she even wants to, uh, when her dad's pulling her away, when they're at Daejeong station to go away from the quarantine, she wants to go back and tell everyone oh come this way instead yeah. and he's like no we're we're taking care of ourselves you don't have to be so kind yeah you got to make sure that you survive and don't worry about other people yeah they'll hopefully do the same thing and make <laughs> themselves survive so it's nice to see them transition and kind of like well she doesn't become less kind but she does become closer with her father and her father definitely changes because of her i mean it takes a few people to change him it takes a village to raise him <laughs> From the douchebag that he was. I feel like that's a big trope in movies of like your misunderstood, really kind daughter and you're the you're the businessman that never gave her the opportunity that she deserved. And then you learn from her. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say it's a new thing, but it's definitely interesting to see it in a zombie movie. And he cares so, or he's so careless when it comes to her in their everyday lives. They show that um, it's her birthday at the beginning of the film. So he's like, he asks one of his coworkers, "Oh, oh it's, what her, are, it's her birthday throughout the entire film." Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "What's what do kids love these days to get a present for her?" And he gives her a wee, which is nice and like fancy and whatever. And then she opens it and she just stares at it. And he's like, "Oh, you don't like it?" And then she, we look up and it pans. And then she already has a wee U yeah. from him from earlier that year for Children's Day. That's quality. That's so sad. I mean, now she can do land matches and smash. So what is she complaining about? Her and her granny can train for Evo. I mean, if anybody understands an absentee father, I thought you would. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and he would do the decent thing of just asking me what I wanted and then ah. going with me to buy it. Ah. More often than not, it was shoes. Fancy shoes? Yeah, because I had Walmart shoes. <laughs> Also, my another point I had was that actress who plays Sue Ann. So, oh, you mean Sue Ann? Yeah. Her her real name in real life is Sue Ann as well. I looked yeah. that up. That was stop looking things up. It's my job to look things up. I wanted to look up what the name of the characters well, were. Well, that was one of my fun facts. Well, 
I'm sorry your fun fact is the basic understanding of what the actors' names are. But I thought it was funny. Yeah, because she plays herself, basically. Well, she doesn't play herself, but she plays a character with the same name. But she does such a great job. I would say, like, Alex Vincent levels of good. Maybe even more. I'd like to see them uh, act together if they weren't. So So far apart now. She does such a good job of playing the truth in all her scenes. She goes for goals. She doesn't overthink. And whenever she's speaking, you can tell that she has a clear intent with her dialogue. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you always believe, or at least I did, everything that came out of her mouth and like when she's looking around and anytime she's on screen, I instantly believed that she was that character. Only after I've done, finished watching the movie, I'm like, wow, that child actor was really great. (laughs) Maybe she was uh, substituting the time that her and her father got stuck in a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) I always find it interesting to try to dissect any acting that's in another language. Because I know you were watching, you started watching like French shows again to like... Practice my French. Exactly. And like I was watching and trying to figure out if I thought that the actors were good actors or not. And for me, it's so hard to understand if they're like saying their lines properly, if it's in a language that I don't understand. But you can still look at their faces and look how they're, they're emoting and stuff. And I agree that the actress in Train to Busan did a really good job at like, specifically when she her father was telling her that we have to leave people behind and we're going to go this way. I was looking at her face and she like, she's like, you don't care about anyone but yourself. And you could really tell that Ugh, this yeah. was like finally hitting her kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like a big problem with watching anime with subs. I don't know if the voice actors are good <laughs> because I can't see their face. So I'm like, oh yeah, the the Cowboy Bebop guy, he's great because he said his words and I read them and they they made sense. Good job. But do you find if you're listening to audiobooks or like listening to a podcast and you're entertained by things, I can tell the same or it's because the language barrier is what's really stopping you? Yeah, exactly. Like I can because there's so much different inflection in different languages that like when I was learning Japanese, a lot of English speakers still try to like inflect Japanese the way they would inflect English. Right. And it's kind of it doesn't it sounds like a person trying to speak your language improperly. Yeah. Or like Shakespeare, if people don't understand how you... Do iambic pentameter. Yeah. yeah. And they just try to read it as they would normal words. You know, if you know the language, you can understand that they're bad actors. But if you don't, you're like, sure, I guess. That's fair. Super true. The last thing uh, for my notes was that I wanted to talk about the pacing of the movie. It was really well done. It really, once it starts, it drives forward. And I like how they gave us, well, specifically my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the movie is the beginning of the apocalypse on the train from when she's looking out the window and she sees like someone get attacked outside and then they drive off. And it's still such a slow burn at first. And then it really picks up and then just go, go, go for the rest of the movie. But before that happens, we get to spend some time with them as a family in their house and him at work and everything. I think it's like, I want to say 15 minutes. It's got to be. From the time that the movie starts to the time that like the first person is bit on screen from a zombie, it has to be like 15 minutes. And you get so much information in that amount of time. And it's not just information of like the lines being spoken, but it's how people interact with each other. Wow. Every time Kelly takes a sip, his whole face shuts down. You can see the veins (laughs) growing in my face and my eyes turn white. I'm already almost done and I'm still liking it. 
But yeah, because uh, the, the dad interacts with his mom, the mm-hmm. grandma, a bit about the wife, and he interacts with his daughter, who's been trying to contact their mom, and you can see how unhappy she is with her father, but she'll, she won't be disrespectful to him. And once they're on the train, even, and the apocalypse slowly yeah. starts to start. You also get a lot of introduction to like the other main characters as well, like watching the baseball team interact and like the girl being all lovey-dovey. Ooh, I like you. Yeah. You should like me too. Yeah. And, and then, the two elderly sisters. Uh, they're the best. So I'm, intre- I'm not going to ask now because it might be in your trivia, but I would be curious to know how old those actresses actually are. I looked at, I tried to find out, but I couldn't find pictures of them I mean, in real could, life. They like, would be on IMDb and it would say when they were born, wouldn't it? I went to their profiles, but it didn't have that much information. They didn't even have pictures on them, oh. those two actresses. Because that almost that role almost makes me feel like they're Korean comedian duo or something like that. Mm. Or they're like, I don't know, that they work together and they were like cast to play this, not bit part, but like play this part. Yeah. Because they were like, they always work together or something like that. But yeah, they did not look their age at all. They look heavily prosthetic. The one who dies, well, they both die, but the one who dies first did look older, but the lady Lady that kind of had like a bit of an af, not an afro, but like really curly short hair. Yeah, she definitely looked young. Yeah, that looked she, like a wig on her. She looked like thirty or something. But it maybe goes with what you're saying, like they are a duo or something. Because why would you not just hire older ladies? Yeah, they did really well. But I still was like, you're not that. You're not a granny. Yeah, unless like older <laughs> Korean actresses are like zombie movie. No, thank you. Zombie movie? Hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then they introduce like the shitty COO. They introduce like all of the people that you're gonna have to interact with the most in a really like concise way so it's only it's 15 minutes which in the, on one hand you could say that it's a long time and on the other it could be a short amount of time and i would say it's short for the amount of stuff that we get yeah without being spoon-fed through dialogue like i was saying like i love being able to see characters interact with each other and learn about their motivations in the way that they treat other people not yeah. in what they're saying i feel like they got away with it really well because it's on a train so you get that sort of like organic interaction between people of getting to your seat and like checking in and stuff like that you're gonna interact with people or like the bathroom when she goes and the pregnant lady's in there yeah and the husband's like oh she's peeing for two it's kind of like um quarantine two when they're getting on the plane. Oh, yeah. You get a really good in- introduction to everyone because it's how do normal citizens interact with each other on a plane? You don't have to like cut between like houses and be like, this is the baseball team getting ready at their school and this is the COO getting dressed at his yeah, house and stuff like that. Yeah, they're just all in the same yeah. spot, even though they're so different. And that's all that really matters is how they're going to interact with each other in a public place on a train. And it really brings out the like classist thing that I was talking about before. Yeah. Because there's such a line between basically the COO and the father and everybody else. And then when it comes down to it, the COO is higher than the father. So then he like fucks shit up for them, too. Oh, man. That's probably one of my favorite tropes of zombie and or, I don't know, trapped scenarios is the group of people that form around the most charismatic villain. Yeah. Like the mist. They have that Christian lady who turns everybody against the main Mm -hmm. characters. And just as like a human being voting for or like cheering for the protagonist, you just want that person to die so much because you just hate them and their shitty words that they use to like twist everyone. Yeah. And this guy literally is like lying to everybody, knowing that this group isn't infected and making them turn and killing one of the best characters in the entire movie because of that. Oh my gosh. In that moment when the father's group breaks through 
after being uh, shut out from the mass, like regular, still healthy people. Yeah. As soon as he breaks through and he's like, p- basically punches the COO in the face multiple times. It's like, why did you do that? Like, you killed him. Why? We could have saved everybody. And then you can see in the COO's eyes the moment when he's like, I'm going to lose this power that I have. And then he's like, he's infected. Yeah. I was like, shut up. I hate you. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, Sung Hwa, the dad of the, or the, Husband of the pregnant woman. Yeah. He kind of played the part that the daughter played, which is like, you're a shitty guy, but also like, I'm on the same level as you. And I understand that like dads get the short end of the stick. And he's like the polar opposite of the main character. He's just like the nicest dad. He loves, he's not even a father yet, but he loves his unborn baby already. Yeah. He's just such a sweet husband, but he's also jacked as shit. And he just beats the shit out of all the zombies. And you just, you want him to be the protagonist, not this bad dad. (laughs) And then the terrible actions of the CEO cause him to die by sacrificing himself, obviously. To save, yeah. To save his wife. But also, I think he was full on thinking about everybody else on the in that car. Yeah. And yeah. he takes the moment to ask uh, the father of Suan to please take care of my wife. And I'm like, oh my God, this so is so good. sad. But you are at that point, you already know that he got bit. Yeah. By doing the stupidest thing ever. Why would he change his hand to be where the zombies Because he was getting tired. He was holding back that door as best he could. Yeah. But but again, it's not his fault because they clearly could have made it into the other car if the COO didn't make everybody tie their like ties together and shirts to keep the door shut. Mm -hmm. But it does get every main character that dies in this dies by sacrificing themselves. Like think think about all of the people that die who are like the good people. Yeah. So the baseball kid dies because his girlfriend or the girl he likes got bit from the COO. I thought she liked him. So he's like, yeah. he's like holding her as she's turning to like show that he also loved her. Yeah. Which is a s- emotional sacrifice. The um, Sung Hwa died by holding back the door and getting bit. The main dad died by throwing the CEO, COO off of the train, but getting bit in the process. Yeah. Even the old lady died by like holding back the zombies a little bit so that the daughter can get through. The train conductor died by jumping saving? off of the train and saving oh, the COO. Oh my God. And, and then all... he fucking murders him, basically. Yeah. And the COO killed so many people by just being a shit heel. He threw a dude into another zombie. He threw multiple dudes into people. Yeah. The, the girl who was in love with the baseball player. Yeah. Also. Even like going as far back as like the train attendant who was checking on the first infected girl was like putting herself in danger because she doesn't know what state of mind this girl is in. Yeah. So she died protecting somebody else who would have had to check on her. And she kept asking for help and people were so slow. Yeah. So it's like, be a shitty person and you'll survive up to a certain point, but sacrifice yourself and you'll save so many other people. Yeah. I also, that point brings up something that I thought of that was kind of weird, especially in the beginning of the movie when the first infection is really spreading in the train. So there's the woman who got bit and ran on the train Mm -hmm. and she's like slowly hobbling through the train and like breathing heavily and nobody is paying attention to her. Yeah. Nobody pays attention to feeble people. (laughs) But then there's then eventually she fully turns and she attacks the train attendant who's a woman and she's walking the woman is walking through the aisle with this zombie woman attacking her, like piggybacking on her. And still nobody really sees her. Yeah. 
Nobody cares about people. I can't imagine. I, I, that's the thing. I just, I'm astounded. I believe it, but I'm astounded that everyone was like, don't look over there. Or like Something so into happening. their own worlds that they're like, oh, that's a crazy bitch. Not going to look at that. What's it called? The like observer effect or whatever, where it's like until somebody points at you and tells you to do something, yeah, you'll just the sit bystander, there. Yeah. Bystander effect. Yeah. When somebody is in in charge and there's an emergency, you have to like specifically point at people and be like, "You right there, nine one one. You right there, get a tourniquet. You right there." Yeah. But if you have the opportunity to like abscond from interacting, like you're gonna take that chance because you don't want to get involved. My favorite thing about that line of self preservation is as soon as you're in a, a state of emergency, you have to yell fire. Oh yeah. Because that'll make pe- people want to come and see the fire. But if you yell, help me, help me, nobody is going to come. No. It's so sad. I learned that when I was 12. You need to show something interesting. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Kaiju Humans attack. Are- There's kaiju over there. Oh, where? <laughs> oh no, I just sprained my ankle. I need someone to help me to the hospital. Please. Yeah. You there, help me to the hospital. You, take me to the hospital. You, get me a burrito. <laughs> What how breakfast will, burrito? How will that help? I'm hungry. <laughs> this episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you through the generous support of local distillery Muddlers, who donated the vodka soda we used as the base of our cocktail. Made locally in Vancouver, BC, Muddlers vodka soda takes its cues from classic cocktails. Vegan and gluten-free, be your own bartender. Bring a perfectly mixed, ready-to-drink vodka soda anywhere. You can check them out on social media at Drink Muddlers. We also used Uji Matcha ice cream donated by Mister, who makes their ice cream using liquid nitrogen right here in Yaletown. By using liquid nitrogen in the production process, Mister is able to rapidly freeze our product at ultra-low temperatures, which results in much smaller ice crystals and less air than found in traditional ice cream. Their ingredients are sourced from local farmers, and they strive to support the BC community wherever possible. Check them out at madebymister.com. Mad Lab's Blueberry Kombucha Cordial makes a great addition to classic cocktails to create blue Manhattans or blue Negronis. Or simply top with soda for a light and refreshing drink. Wow, Kelly's very excited Blue about Negronis? That. <laughs> you can check out their website to find out more on their products, madlabdistilling.com. Shit, I want a Blue Negroni now. <laughs> you can make the next drink. I will make the next drink, and it will be a Kelly drink. <laughs> uh, drinking and Screaming is made possible through the generous support of our patrons. Thanks to everyone who's currently a patron, you know who you are. An update for you. Your stickers... <laughs> I want to. I wanted to get. I wanted to make them feel that I was glaring at them. Damn so, right, you know. I felt it. Anyways, an update for you is that the stickers are currently in the process of being made now. Woo! Woo! That's for anyone who's a five dollar patron or more. Yeah, so you can stick our logo that I made mm-hmm. onto your laptops and junk. Don't stick it onto your junk. <laughs> Please check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash drink and scream. We have some amazing awards such as junk stickers <laughs> on there. There's also bonus content. We're going to do the Train to Busan short for sure. Yeah. Uh, we've also been talking about doing Until Dawn. Yeah, we we just the bonus episodes aren't necessarily just going to be movies. They're going to be like anything that is horror and that we want to do. And maybe even you could suggest them to us through Patreon. And of course, the biggest gift that you'll get is the cocktail recipe book. Which will be coming at the end of every season since we don't pre-plan the cocktails. It just kind of comes to us. Yeah. 
as we feel it. Clearly, as what happened in this episode where I made trash. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us. Instagram at Drink and Scream. Twitter at Drink underscore Scream. Facebook at Drink and Scream. Email us, drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. And make sure to rate us on iTunes since getting ranked there is a huge boost for new podcasts. I can't say how much it'll help us if you just take a minute out of your day to give us a little rate and review. Especially if you have an iPhone or something. It's much harder on a PC or an Android, but if you've got an iPhone, it's super simple. If you don't have an iPhone or access to iTunes, you can always give us a review on our Facebook page. That's true. Uh, for Discord, we're going to cozy on up with our partner, Super Hopped Up, so check out bit.ly slash hopped up Discord. And I managed to make it so that you get a fancy color if you're a Patreon whoop, whoop. donator. Hell yeah. And then now we're just going to play a nice little ad from another local podcast called Unaired, which I'm giving an intro to because I think it's very funny that Kelly... Myself and our friend Mike used to do a podcast called Good Enough to Air, where every week we would watch a new show that had been canceled after one season, and Unaired does something very similar. Let's listen. I did not know that you got an ad from Unaired. They were more or less our rivals while we were doing Good Enough to Air, so thank you for that. (laughs) Every year, new TV shows get canceled. Some make it the whole season, and some don't even make it that far. Hi, I'm Ed, host of Unaired, a show where we take TV shows canceled with episodes left unaired, review them, and then pitch our ideas for how we think they could have continued. We've covered shows like Look Well, where Adam West plays a TV detective who thinks he can solve real crimes, the failed attempt at a Zombieland TV show, and we even do segments, like the one where we throw Wallace Shawn into our episode pitches. So check us out every other Thursday, wherever you find podcasts. Anyways, was that, that was your last one. That was point. it. Yeah, go for it. All right, I'll go on to mine. Um, I'm still loving my drink, by the way. Okay, not loving. I'll give it a sick five out of ten. My mouth feels like dirt. Wow. <laughs> so what? Is it a one out of ten? Something like we that. We don't rate our drinks, but I just I want to get a sense of how much you hate it. Any alcoholic drink gets better regardless of whether or not you like it because your mouth both acclimates to it and you get more drunk. So I'm able to drink it without wincing in pain at this point. But if I feel the texture of my mouth, it's no good. It's not good texture. I've gotten to the point where I'm basically done the bottom layer. So I just get this delicious ice cream. It makes me feel like I didn't brush my teeth. (laughs) It's made my mouth. Okay, stop talking about my drink. Give me your points. (laughs) Shut up. My first point I made was that I really like that there's no guns in this movie. Not because I'm, you know, making a, a political point, point or yeah. whatever. But the idea of a zombie movie is that they are like, oh, you shoot it in the head, it'll die, and you're all good. So the, you have to go out and get as many guns as you can or preserve your ammo or something like that. Like right. mo- Most American uh, zombie movies Walking that we dead. watch, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like preserve your ammo or whatever. I don't know, honestly, if South Korea doesn't have that many guns or if it's just not super not common. I'm not sure. But like nobody has a gun in this movie until literally the last scene where it's an army man with a gun. But the idea of having to encounter zombies where like you can't even really kill them. Like you think about it, I don't think they, other than snapping a neck or two, I'm not too sure if they ever actually killed one of the zombies. I don't even know if that killed them or if it just pushed them off to the side. It's so hard to tell with these ones, but none of the tropes of having to interact with people who have guns exist in this movie. And I really like that they they 
showed what a zombie movie could be from that other angle of like, you have to use melee weapons. You have to use, just shield yourself a lot. And you can't do that social thing where the weapon that you have that's supposed to kill zombies, suddenly you turn it on a human and you're like, hey, I've got a gun now and I'll shoot you if you don't yeah. give me your food or something stupid and yet, like that. They still had so much human turning on human without yeah. the guns. They had to like only use what like their power and their yeah. words. Their social class or whatever. Yeah, there was no changing. There's just no guns. And I thought that was really cool because you rarely see a zombie movie where they're not able to just shoot it in the head, but then get overpowered some other way. Like, yeah. You, you face one, you're going to get overpowered. And having the baseball team being on the train was a great way to include some sort of weapons. Yeah. It, not only the main baseball kid used his baseball bat, but like the main dad did. I think everybody of the people that were trying to make their way through the train to the pregnant lady and the kid again. Yeah, you, the bat at one point. And you see more like cool things like shoving the baseball bat in their mouth to stop you from getting bit or like using the police baton and the shields to push them away or like wrapping your arms up in tape. Yeah. Which most of the time they bit your hand. So you should have taped your hand probably as well. Well, that also that brings up the point that the dad, the main dad on the tr- the last train dies because he only wrapped one of his arms. Yeah. He could have wrapped the other arm. It wasn't his hand that got bit. It was his arm. No, it was his hand. He shoved his hand into the mouth of the CEO. Oh, eventually, yeah. But yeah. he was protecting his other arm that wasn't wrapped. Yeah. But he could have, they had so much tape. He could have done it, but he was like, I have a riot shield in that arm, so I'm okay. Yeah, I'll never lo- lose this riot dun, shield. Dun, oh, I lost dun. the riot shield. Um, Yeah, it was cool. Also, a small point that I didn't actually write in my list, but I like that the entire movie was in daylight. It's really cool. It's cool to see horror thriller movies that are entirely in daylight. And you still got the darkness when they went through the tunnels. Yeah. Which was interesting that they brought forward the fact of the zombies not moving at at night or in the dark. So it's kind of the opposite of what you'd usually assume. Like in every zombie flick, you walk during the day, it's safer because you can see. Mm -hmm. But it would be safer to move in this scenario it would be better to sleep during the day unseen and then walk around at night yeah because they have like the um light sensitivity or whatever mm-hmm. so they can only see bright lights or something like that like the monsters in they're nope. like t-rex yeah just like <laughs> t-rex my other point was that i like that the i like i really like the movement of the zombies in this because it's almost like your standard slow zombies with like the twitching and the limping and the crawling and stuff like that but they just made everyone move faster and it made it so jarring to watch them like the first girl that stands up i she has to be a dancer oh man it was creepy because she like goes from a lying down position to just like picking herself up without using her hands or anything it's such artistry the way that they do choreograph all of the twitching of the bodies Mm -hmm. i think it must have been half like choreography and half dancer improvisation because you can tell there's a difference between the solo moments of zombies sticking out as they change or as they attack someone compared to like the hordes not the hordes of cg just like background zombies but yeah Yeah. regular zombies who were still twitching and everything but it was the level of detail and accuracy was amazing with the individual dancers they're almost popping locking the entire time that they're zombies Mm -hmm. And then there are there were some scenarios where they kind of like faked it a little bit by literally just speeding up the video. Uh, I think there was a time when the army was chasing them and you see the one surviving guy walking towards them and then a zombie just comes up behind him and grabs him. Yeah. That one was sped up and then the subsequent scenes were all sped up. But I don't know. I l- subtle enough that it wasn't annoying or drawing or like, oh, they did yeah. that. It just made it look more action-y. 
it showcases the cool design of these zombies. And the panic that you feel in that situation. Like everything feels like it's either going slow-mo or a mile a minute. Yeah. If it's in the dark or they can't see you yet, you have to be very quiet and, and not say anything. But the moment that one sees you, it's like, oh, action mode. Run! That being said about like the faking it, there were some CGI moments in this movie that kind of took me out of it. And they were used in spots that I felt I don't think it could. I don't think it would have been easy to do practical, but it definitely would have looked better to be practical. I think you're gonna say whenever people like went through glass. Yeah, yeah. Anytime that like a horde of zombies were pushing up against the glass and then they fell through, you could tell that they were. There's specifically, I think it's like the Havoc engine or something like that, or the Euphoria. I don't know. They probably use a different one. That's for games. But it's just when you have like a mass group of rigged models and you just like ragdoll them and then shove them on mass towards something something or or, through something and you can tell that that's what they're using because they're more floppy and like people are squishing into each other and stuff like that and it only came up when it was supposed to be like more actiony but that's the point where you're more like invested in your eye your pupils are more open your your blood is pumping faster so it really like threw me out of it where i'm like yeah 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 here come the zombies oh they're fake also when they're um they're looking for a new train there's like the shipping containers on top of the tracks and they look like the lighting was like sci-fi channel level of lighting. So it looked so obviously fake that that was so weird to me that they did that because you know that they have those trains because the later scenes are using real backdrops. Yeah. So why did they super like it felt it was also so green screeny like well, it was it was motion tracking. So you can see once if you look at the the shipping containers, you can see them kind of like shake not with the camera once in a while because they're trying to use motion tracking with the the tracks. Mm. But my assumption is they filmed it at a real station and maybe the station manager didn't want them to wreck the tracks by putting crates on them. Yeah. But they could have used like softer crates or fake Fake. crates. It wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. I feel like it must have been a money thing. Probably. Or a time thing. Yeah. But it was like, I don't mind CGI, especially when it feeds the plot. And the idea that there's so many zombies that they're just billowing out of places makes a a good argument for using CGI. But it was in points where, like, the fact that it was so blaringly obvious was, was, you know, took me out of it. Yeah. It made me... Have you seen World War Z? Uh, No, but I've seen clips of their zombie tech. Because it felt like those moments, only those moments felt like World War Z. Yeah. When they're like... Of like swarms going super fast and like blurry while they're falling or whatever. Yeah, because they're supposed to be like ants in World War Z, basically, aren't they? There's the shot when they're on like the final train and then the zombies like grab onto the train and then they create like this break by jumping on each other. That looked less CGI because they probably used like puppets and, and or uh, mannequins and I stuff I felt like, like that. It, they were real people jumping on it. Yeah, but I think it was the bottom layer because there was a few yeah. shots of like giant piles of zombies fighting over each other. And you could see that there were prosthetic people. Yeah, and, like, you could see like a lot of them were more mannequins. So yeah. I would say that this has been the third time that we've watched this movie. We watched it just before filming. Like, I don't want to come across as too harsh. Like, for me, especially, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't think about this kind of stuff. Like, I noticed the CG a bit, but it wouldn't be, like, something that ruins the movie for you if you yeah. watch it for and the it first time. It doesn't ruin it for me. And, like, I understand the necessity to use CGI. I'm not opposed to CGI, but the times that they used it took it out for me. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. My final one's the most poignant, and that's that... Ooh. 
uh, Sanghua, the jacked dad, made the movie for me in the scene where he was just punching zombies. <laughs> because, like, in the beginning... Wait, which one? <laughs> oh, the first time. Because he's he's this sweet, loving, jokester father guy. But he, the entire movie, he's wearing, like, this really thick coat. Yeah. And so you think that he's just, like, this this soft boy father who likes joking around with his wife. And then when they're when they need to get from cabin nine to cabin 13 to save his wife, the moment where he like takes off his coat and he's just this thick burly dude and he starts wrapping his arms with tape and you're like, Oh my God, this guy's about to start some shit. Hell yeah. And he drop kicks a zombie and then punches one in the face Every time I watch this movie, I get so stoked. There's a scene where he grabs a zombie by the bottom and top of his shirt and then lifts him up to the ceiling yeah. and hits him against the ceiling. Like I, Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, is this motherfucker like a wrestler or something like that? Because he is so jacked and destroys these zombies. Oh, man. And then his heart is just so open and full. He's such he's the perfect man. He calls out uh, Sue Ann's dad for being an asshole. Yeah. And then eventually, like, they bond and stuff. But he still calls but him He's not hurt. afraid to call him out. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. He I is, do like him. He is the perfect man. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to be a great father when he stops being a zombie. Hell yeah. That was my final point, was about how awesome Sang is and that he's just a jacked, perfect dude. Hell yeah. Which brings us into the fun fact section of our lovely podcast, which um, if I've seen the movie more times or if Kelly's seen the movie more times, then one of us will do it. But the tradition of us doing this is every time we watch horror movies, we usually watch them at night and then we go into bed to get ready for sleeping times or sexy times. Mm, but the first thing we do is we go that's on that's against I- God <laughs> but we uh, go on IMDB and like movie fact sites and read off any uh, interesting trivia that we can find on the movie we just watched so I did the ones for Train to Busan this time nice whoop, whoop. so first one I mean Kelly already knows a bit about this but I'm really excited there's gonna be a Train to Busan 2 as well yeah Wait. <laughs> There's a sequel. And yeah. it's going to be, uh, it's officially called Peninsula is in it? English. But the okay. actual South Korean title for the film is Bando, uh, which translates to Peninsula in English. And the sequel is said to take place four years after the events of the first movie with the action focused on the Korean Peninsula. Hence the name. The entire area has become an unhab- unhabitable wasteland following the devastating zombie takeover. So it, it's real time then because Train to Busan was 2016 and then this one will be 2020. Yeah. So it's four years. Four years later. Nice. Yeah. I I don't know how I feel about that. Like watching Train to Busan, especially with the idea this time that there would be a second one, I don't feel like it really needs one. Like I, I'm all for more South Korean zombie movies, but the idea that- You like it, the self-containedness of this. Yeah, one. exactly. Like this one ends- perfectly i think and like ambiguously enough that you can just put in your mind as to whether or not everything was going to be fine or if the daughter was going to die or something like that but the idea that they're taking train to busan and making a second one means that there has to be plot from the first one in the second one yeah i I don't really want that but i don't know we'll see it i guess a lot of the fun facts that i decided not to include were about how successful it was in south korea and in shangri-la and like uh a lot of cities had like huge stakes of people going to see this movie. Like 10 million people went to see it. Nice. Um, and they made, well, one of another fun fact is that the budget was 8.5 million 
and they made. Do you want to take a guess? Eighty-five million. More than that, they Jesus. almost made a hundred million. Ninety-eight point four million. Holy shit! From eight point five million. Worth. So it's such a cash cow that there's no way that they're gonna not make a sequel. Yeah, that's and people true. love the actor who plays the dad. He was in um, a movie called Silenced. So yeah, that's another one. Sang-hwa or the bad dad? Yu-gong, the bad dad. Okay. So Yu-gong and Yumi Jung, who's the pregnant lady, uh, both starred in the 2011 film called Silence, which Mm -hmm. is about a school for deaf children and the boys get sexually assaulted by the teachers there. Wow. And he becomes a new teacher there and he finds out about this and tries to like bring it to light with the pregnant lady actress. Hmm. So it sounds really cool. I think it's a drama, not a horror film. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's horror for some people. Yeah, seriously. But if they like that that actor, so they gonna, love him, and they're like, not going to be in the second one. So that was what all the articles I was reading were like: Is he going to be in the second one? I was like, He fucking died. How could he be? Unless and yeah, the, he's he not. comes back as a Zambi. Yeah, but it's confirmed that he's not. He's not in it at all. It would be cool if the daughter got older, then like went back and tried to find him, and then like kidnapped. Had him. like a Clementine and Lee moment. Oh no, I was going to say like captured him and then kept him in a cage or something. And- Ooh. Ooh, like, uh, what's that movie with the Hobbit actor? It's a Cargo. Cargo, yeah. I love that. Oh, we have to do Cargo for season two. Hell yeah. I love that movie. I mean, we'll probably do Train to Busan too for season two. Hell yeah. Okay, back to my list. Oh, okay. I wanted to say this so many times while you were talking because you keep bringing up how you think that the dad of the pregnant lady has to be a professional wrestler or Oh my something. God, is he? He is uh, the the personal trainer for Yugong, the main dad. Oh, really? Yeah. He used to be the personal trainer for him. Sick. And then he, now they're just both actors, which is really funny. I mean, he seemed to not be doing a, be- a good job because the main actor was so weak. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even put, put a, sh- a chubby COO off a train. Um, so this movie, Train to Busan, is the director Sang-ho Yeon's first live action film. Which I thought was interesting. Ooh. All his previous work has been animated features. Nice. And that leads to the next point, which was there's an animated film called Soul Station, uh, which is a prequel to Train to <gasps> Busan, which we're definitely doing as one of our bonus episodes this season. That sounds rad. So the events in the short animated uh, feature take place one day prior to the beginning of Train to Busan. Mm. Which is curious because the movie starts with basically like a checkpoint saying that there's been a chemical spill from this biotech company. Yeah. Do we really know if that scene and the beginning of the movie, quote unquote, are like a day apart or is it like weeks apart or something? Um, I don't know. Because the, the whole point is that the bad dad knows about the chemical spill and is trying to like sell his stock. Stock, yeah, for the company stock. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same day. I think it's that morning of. Okay. But then the they actually leave the next day. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So it'll be everything leading up to it. Yeah. Which makes sense too, because the daughter does see someone get attacked as the, the train is leaving initially. There has to be enough slow build before there are like mass riots or riots, quote unquote, everywhere. Yeah. Which happens the day they're on the train. I always love a zombie movie that starts with the people discovering what's going on. I hated Last of Us when it was like 14 years later. And I was like, oh. I, I thought it was cool. I liked that it was such a jump. I didn't expect it and I was a bit disappointed, but also, oh, that's a totally different story and I'm very interested in that. I want to see like societies being formed or like learning the rules and stuff like that. That's fair. Uh, I have two more. 
So the film is incredibly popular in India, like crazy popular. That was where they got a lot of their box office film, uh, box office funds from. But it's technically two minutes shorter than the original version because they had to cut out some of the more gruesome zombie scenes, Ooh. which is interesting. That actually makes sense because since they're they're like fast zombies, I think it fits more into like the Bollywood style of movies with like just crazy over the top action. Yeah, for sure. And then the last thing I have is that uh, this movie became the first South Korean film to pass the one million dollar mark at the Singapore box office. Really? Yeah. Wow, one million mark. One That's million. So low. It's the first one. Huh? Does Singapore not like South Korea? Apparently. And they're like, damn it, these zombies got us, man. As much as we hate them, we yeah. got, they got them zombies. I did find it. This was another one. It came out in 2016, so I thought there would be a bit more facts to go over. But mainly it was sites listing off the same things in different words. Okay. So the main facts were how successful it was monetarily wise and in how many people saw it in the countries that they did see it, where normally they wouldn't be going to this type of movie. Were there any good goofs? Um, no, mostly there was like, there's a glass window that doesn't have any blood on it. And then in the next shot, there is blood on it. Oh, I mean, like looking at the main bad dad's shirt, I was, the blood just was, it was like a Rorschach test of what the blood would look like each scene. I hate that this happens in almost every movie that has blood in it, that they feature the blood as light pink on the shirt. That is not what blood looks like i am a lady i can tell you (laughs) what blood on clothing looks like it is not a pretty sight it is brown over time dark dark red when it first happens it's infected blood no that's they're just hyperactive infected blood no movies are dumb he got he broke a highlighter on his shirt All right, give me some some final thoughts, my love. So my final thought is pretty simple in that I think this might be the best zombie movie. It's full stop. I'm sure people will disagree with me, but it has all the elements of like a classic zombie movie. I actually wrote them out as if they were titles of TV trope articles, so excuse me. But it has the initial confusion. It has learning the rules. It has getting split up, army failing, sacrifice, humans turning on each other, the need to get to a location. It has all of those things, but it condenses it down into like this tight corridor where literally the only objectives that they have are get from A to B. The higher overarching one is to get from station to station yeah, and to get to Busan. And, but it's straight, like with a lot of walking dead and stuff like that, it's meandering and like, we know we need to get to the SCC or whatever. But in this one, it's just, it's like a cross section of that. It's, straight down the corridors of the train, straight to Busan. It kind of ups the stakes because of how there's no way, real way to avoid the zombies in it. They're, yeah. they're in front of you and you have to go by them. So every trope that you learn from a zombie movie is just put into one of these cars. Like you have the shitty humans that turn on each other in one car. You have the best, the f- baseball player's best friends in the one car. Where oh, it's like, that, we didn't even... Talk about that. That was so sad. Like having to turn on your friends is such a big trope of like turning on your friends that have turned to zombies. Yeah. Is such a big trope in zombie lore. You have the what is normally a safe area is now unsafe because one of the doors broke. Like there's just so many standard zombie tropes put into this tight little box of a train and they're used so well and it makes you it makes the stakes feel so high because they literally can't 
not be in a zombie movie. They can't yeah. get off and be like, well, I'm out of this zombie movie now. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Snowpiercer where each train is an individual plot, basically, and they're just working their way through the plot. Which is interesting because when you look at like reviews of this movie that are critiques or like that are they didn't like Train to Busan. They're like, it's just Snowpiercer, but with zombies. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Snowpiercer is an action movie in a train. It's just, it's cut perfectly into subsections of plot. You can watch any scene of that, any any cabin of Snowpiercer, yeah. and it's a good action movie. You know what's going to be great? The Snowpiercer TV show that I'm in. Whoa. Let me just do a little plug here. Oh my God. I'm going to go pee now. It's, 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 it's just my voice, not my face. But uh, yeah, so you should watch that next year. I'm glad I brought up Snowpiercer. So natural. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me, this is probably one of the best zombie movies out there. Yeah, for sure. I have m- marked in my final thoughts that it was definitely my favorite zombie movie. Nice. Ooh, zombie movie. Zombie movie. Uh, also, I can't wait to watch the second one. I know you, you're kind of on the fence about it. Oh, watch! I'm it. excited. I want to take my final thought time to talk about the ending of this movie. Because eventually, like, everyone's dead except for the pregnant woman and Sue Ann. And she and the pregnant woman are walking, and they finally made it to Busan, and they're in this, like, train tunnel, and the army men are basically going to shoot them because they can't tell, because it's so dark, if yeah. they're... Plus, she's pregnant, so she's kind of limping a little bit. Yeah. And they're, like, holding on to each other. So they look like they could be zombies, so they ask for confirmation of what to do, and they're like, just kill them. So the army guys are going to kill them. And then she starts singing the song that she really wanted to sing to her dad in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And I'm basically going to cry talking about <laughs> it right now because it's so sad. I know I can basically make you cry by just singing that song apropos of nothing. It's so <laughs> sad. Like, she's all alone, and she just wants to be with her dad. Like, she's finally learned to love her dad. I'm literally crying. <laughs> And it's she, just such a great end to this movie. And she even tells her dad, like, I couldn't sing the song at school because I I practiced it for you. And, and I he wasn't there. And so, now he's never going to be there. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And so perfect. And it's like ostensibly an action thriller movie. So the fact that it makes you cry is like a good sign that they balanced everything perfectly. Like the human aspect of zombie movies are usually the worst parts. Yeah, for sure. But this one, they really elevated it a lot. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's just a sad kid whose dad's dead. Yeah. Singing uh, Aloha Oi. It was in Lilo and Stitch, which I watched on the plane. Yeah, but she's like singing it in Korean. I don't think she's singing it in Hawaiian. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I think so. But I don't speak either of those languages, so I do not know. I'm sure it'll be the closing <laughs> song of this episode, so you can be the judge. All our Hawaiian and South Korean listeners. <laughs> Well, that's been Train to the Sun, a movie about trains, zombies, and learning not to be a shit dad. Next week, we'll be watching scary stories to tell in the dark. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah. Bye! Bye.